Welcome to The Change, a podcast about perimenopause for people in their 30s and 40s. I'm your host, Caitlin O'Connor, naturopathic doctor with a practice in Denver, Colorado, supporting patients with their health and hormones throughout the many phases of life. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Today, I'm talking to my good friend, Jessica Goodman, a skilled acupuncturist, herbalist, and intuitive. We've worked together for almost 10 years, starting by sharing clinic space at Denver Community Acupuncture, and then as co-creators of The Vitality Project, an online nutrition and lifestyle course focused on supporting well-being throughout the seasons. We've also transitioned to parenthood together, grown as clinicians and business people, and I've generally really enjoyed having her as a comrade and a colleague during this last decade. Anything else you'd like to add to your... uh biography. I mean, you did a great job introducing me. I guess I would just add I've been a licensed acupuncturist for almost 12 years now, and all of my practice has primarily been focused on women's health, women's health and children's health. So really supporting women through their fertility journey, so helping women get pregnant, stay pregnant and then supporting them through the postpartum phase. And now, as I turn 43, really interested in helping women through this perimenopausal period. I think we've had a a similar career trajectory where as we were starting out, our patient population was a little bit younger, interested in like preconception, hormonal balance, fertility, then through postpartum. And now those same folks are starting to transition through this perimenopausal period. So I sort of saw that reflected in my practice and also like reflected in my own experience, which is what kind of spurned my interest and the desire to do this podcast because I don't know if you see this, but I see folks coming in in their late 30s, early 40s, just like mystified by what is happening in their body and just convinced something's terribly wrong because they're like missing periods or, and I'm like, yeah, dude, like that's normal. Like this is what's happening in your life, but it doesn't seem like there's an understanding of like, oh, what is this next step? This kind of bridge between ovulatory menstrual cycles, potential reproductive years. And then on the other hand, you have like post-menopause, no menstrual cycles, not ovulating anymore. But there's this whole bridge in between that folks seem to be a little bit confused about when it comes to their time. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a lot of that has to do with it not being talked about very often. I think that there is a lot of light shone on getting pregnant. Yeah. Right. Like lots of people on social media talking about their fertility journey a lot during pregnancy. But where we miss, I think that there are lots of places we miss for women. One is for women who who choose not to have children or who can't have children. There's not really a lot talked about that. And then all of us kind of come together at the end for this bridge that you're talking about in terms of, okay, we have reached this point in our life where these changes are happening, but no one's talking about them. And then we are seeing those women in our practices kind of trying to explain to them that this can be really normal. This is like such a normal life transition. Let's just work through this. Yeah. So I start every guest off with the same three questions. Um, So what has surprised you so far about perimenopause for yourself? Well, when I was growing up, I don't know that this was ever talked about. Do you remember your mom ever talking about it? I remember my mom like talking about hot flashes and night sweats, but never in relation to like what was going on, actually. 
Um, so the image in my head that I've always had about this time period is that there's this like specific age that a woman gets to and everything kind of goes downhill. So, is- so what's surprising to me is that um, that's not true. Like women can feel really good. I feel really good yeah. at the age of almost 43. Yeah, I feel great. And that kind of cycles into what do you enjoy? What have you enjoyed about this process and this transition, the beginning phases of it? So I'm really enjoying tuning into what my body likes and doesn't like. So kind of talking about the biodynamic nature of our systems, like, you know, what I liked in my 20s is not what I like in my 40s or what my body needed in my 20s is not the same that my body needed now. And also, you know, what my body needs depending on where I am in my menstrual cycle, what season we're in, like, I'm just really enjoying understanding on a deeper level yeah and really like coming to an acceptance about that and then also just having this sense of like really just stepping into my own wisdom and like having a deep acceptance for like I have like stuff to share and offer and it's worth something like I am worthy of feeling this way I love that and I'll say having been friends with you and seen you for so long I've seen you really like challenge those stories that maybe you had early in your life and being like I don't want to do like this isn't for me I don't want to do this anymore I'm gonna like push out of that idea of I have to be like that perfectionist every you know everybody has to like me I have to be doing it for this external and really being like I want to be like my true authentic vulnerable self and like taking those steps so maybe perimenopause is all about creating this army of recovering perfectionists that don't (laughs) need to people please anymore I yes absolutely I have that conversation with my patients I've never been a perfectionist (laughs) what is that like I I have never I have never had that I've got some things but perfectionism has never has never held me back (laughs) Uh, But I see that so much in in my patients and just being like, that isn't helping you, right? Because when you're a perfectionist, your focus is on doing it perfectly. And then if you can't do it perfectly, it literally doesn't exist. You'll never get there. And then you will get in the way of your own progress because you'll be like, well, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. If I can't home make every single one of my meals, then I guess I'll just never cook. If I can't exercise 60 minutes a day every single day, well, I guess it's not worth it and I'll do nothing. So it's such a right. way to like sabotage yourself. Exactly. It's like, just do whatever is working, like do your best in the moment, but there, there's no perfection. So, and then finally, what is something that you do now that your younger self would have judged you for? Oh my God, everything. <laughs> no, I was, yeah, I was the so... most judgy person before I became a mother. I remember when we were both working at Denver Community Acupuncture and we had a medical intuitive working there. Yeah. Holly, do you yeah. remember? Mm-hmm. She pulled cards for me one time and the very first part card she pulled for me was the judge. And you were like, uh, And I was like, uh, oh, uh. Well, that's fitting. <laughs> I don't have time to be judgy anymore. And I also come from the perspective of like, we're all just trying our best. Like yes. that mom over there that is letting her kid be on her phone probably just worked all day and yeah. has not had a moment to herself. When you are at a place of self-acceptance, it is easier to see other people because you're not seeing them as a reflection of yes. yourself, right? Like Bingo. when we're judging people, we're seeing something in them that reminds us of either something we wish we could do, something that scares us, something that if we were to do, you know, We'd we would seen. be too seen. Yeah. And then that comes out as like a judgment totally. piece. So I think there is that 
component of self-acceptance where you stop judging other people's choices because it doesn't have anything to do with you. Own. Yeah, it has nothing yeah. to do with you. And I think a lot of it is like, one, a little bit of that patriarchal framework of like, people's reproductive years, like that's the important part of their life. And then once you're done, like bearing children, like see you later. And also because it's like, you know, a slightly less like Instagrammable experience. You're just like, hey, look, I'm having these really heavy menstrual periods and growing chin hairs. <laughs> like, I had a hot flash snap. last night and sweat through flash. my clothes. Look at my sweaty glow. Like click here for more perimenopausal content. Like it's just not glamorous. Like, as glamorous. I don't even think a lot of people know what perimenopause means. No, they don't. And then it's scary for people because they start to think like, oh, you know, what's wrong with me? Or alternatively, their providers or their peer group doesn't have that information. And then they're, you know, having symptoms that could actually be addressed with the multiple tools we have for perimenopause. And they're just kind of suffering through them like, oh, I guess that's just what happens when you get old. I guess I just don't get good sleep anymore or my energy's bad. It's because those same providers think that painful periods is also normal. Right. Or, you know, short cycles is normal. Yeah. I always like to tell my patients, normal is different than common. It's not normal that you're experiencing these symptoms of like feeling hot or having low libido or feeling low energy, but it's pretty common. I think we have like normalized that things related to women's hormones like have to be hard and you should just accept it. And that's just like, oh, part of being a person with a uterus and ovaries is being, you know, miserable a few days out of the month or maybe longer or maybe two weeks or maybe the whole time. And I'm like, no. Give me a brief overview. So for people who are not familiar, like what is traditional Chinese medicine? So it's a system of medicine that's over 3,000 years old. It's a holistic form of medicine because yeah. we are looking at how each part of the body is a sum of the whole. We're not looking at the parts separate from each other. And it looks at patterns of disharmony. I remember in acupuncture school, a teacher painting this beautiful visual of a giant oak tree. And the oak tree has a root system, it has a trunk, and it has all of these branches. And so a lot of medical systems will just look at the branches, the symptoms as the branches of the tree. Yeah. So all of these things that might not seem like they're related, like high blood pressure, uh, acid reflux, insomnia, depression. And a lot of times in Western medicine, those are each treated with its own pharmaceutical medication or yeah. in its own way. In Chinese medicine, we're more concerned with the root system. So what about the root system is feeding the tree so that the branches are showing all of these um, patterns of imbalance? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'll be doing my intakes with patients. And once we get talking, all of a sudden, people are really telling stories, And they'll be like, well, this probably doesn't mean anything. Like, but I've had this, like, rash on my finger. And I know, you know, sorry to be, like, telling you so much about all my symptoms. And I know, you know, I'm here to talk about my digestion. But I just wanted to mention I have this skin thing. And I'm like... No, tell totally me all related. the th- tell me all the things. These are yeah. all actually really related. But people are so used to saying like, "Oh, I'm I'm seeing this, you know, specialist and they told me that we can only talk about my stomach pain today and then I'm going to go to another person, a dermatologist to talk about my skin and then I'm going to go to my therapist to talk about my mood." Like we're so used to compartmentalizing all those symptoms. I think it can be really cool for people to kind of get that explanation of like no, all, this is all happening in your whole human body. And I want to know everything top to yeah, bottom. there's a reason. And we're going to be able to like 
weave a story out of those symptoms, that's going to help you understand the why piece. I think we have this unrealistic expectation in the holistic world sometimes of like, you will be in perfect harmony forever. And if you just do X, Y, Z, you'll never have any symptoms and you won't experience pain and life. Will, and it's like, no, that's not always the case. But even explaining to people the why behind it, like, hey, this is your personal predisposition. Like when things are out of balance in your life, it's you're going to have this symptom pattern versus somebody else who has that symptom pattern. And like, this is going to have an impact to how your body responds to stress, even as an adult. And just understanding that about yourself and being gentle, like, oh yeah, I'm a unique individual. I have these predispositions. Like, and being able to tell that story and understand themselves and care for themselves a little bit more, it doesn't right, mean- like give context. Yeah, just like giving it. the context and giving the understanding. I mean, like that doesn't mean from that point on, you'll never have a symptom again in your life. But when you experience that symptom, you're like, oh yeah, I bet it's because, you know, my stressors are higher or I didn't get a good sleep last night or, you know, X, Y, and Z and starting to have a little bit of understanding and ownership over like your own body, which then I think can lead to more like grace and forgiveness and just being like, and that surrender that and we that were surrender talking about of just earlier. like, Oh yeah, we're all individual. We all have our own patterns. We all have our own stories. And it doesn't mean like the end point is I am this like perfectly balanced human forever. But it's that I have a context and I know, like, what does my body need when it's out of balance? And that's different from what my friend's body might need or my partner's yeah, body might need. That brings up a good point because I think one of the strengths of Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine is that we look at each body as unique and individual. And so, you know, whereas in Western medicine, hot flashes, for example, would be treated usually the same across yeah. the board like woman a and woman b come in for hot flashes they are given the same treatment yeah. in our medicine we really are concerned about what is the inner environment of woman a what is the inner environment of woman b and likely those two women will walk away with completely different treatment plans yes. because they're yeah. different people this person might be able to tolerate these different lifestyle inputs and feel great and you might not but like that's just who you are <laughs> like, that's I don't why know. i really think instagram and facebook should not be women's doctors yes well because it's the comparison it's like well i yeah. read this person's blog and they completely healed xyz by doing this and i'm like yeah that and might work i tried for it and I, it didn't work for me yeah what am i doing wrong yeah what am i and i'm like you're not doing anything wrong. It just doesn't right. work for you like not everything is for everybody and that's exactly. i think why, you know, for people who have the opportunity and the privilege to work with somebody who is more holistically minded, like there's 100 different things we could do for this generic symptom. But like, let's figure out of this list of 100 what's the things best for you, what's the best for you, what's going to be sustainable, what fits in your life. Like some people might do better on a plant based diet. Other people might do better on a paleo keto diet. Other people can do Mediterranean. Like there is no right or wrong. I think it can be really helpful to have a practitioner as a guide. Yes. To like filter out the noise mm -hmm. um, and save a lot of time yes. and a lot of money for people, yeah. to be honest. And then from there, it's like, okay, now you, you like take the reins. Right. So within traditional Chinese medicine, I think when people hear about TCM or if, if they know about it or think about it at all, or maybe they're just thinking of Eastern medicine or what they think is acupuncture. Yeah. It, they think that an acupuncturist just sticks needles in you and calls it a day. Which is true. It's it a is part of it, very right? True. And I wanna it's um, not the whole story. Yeah. Though. 
Let's start with acupuncture because that's okay. what I think people are very interested in. And if you look at the medical literature around using traditional Chinese medicine for perimenopausal symptoms, almost all of it seems to resolve, revolve around acupuncture with like pretty great results. Like there's some awesome randomized controlled trials using acupuncture to support perimenopausal symptoms, specifically around hot flashes, insomnia. Like that's a pretty solid evidence-based recommendation but people might not know like what that means or what that looks like. So let's start with just like, what is acupuncture? Mm. <laughs> so acupuncture is the act of inserting needles into a person's body into specific acupuncture points along specific acupuncture meridians. Yeah. It's all about diagnosis, just like for you. Right. Yeah. In any medicine, diagnosis is the most important. So if we can figure out what the main pattern of disharmony is, that kind of guides us to the main organ systems that are out of balance. And each organ system has an energy meridian on the body. There are 12 main acupuncture meridians on the body. And so the skill of the acupuncturist is really to hone in on which meridians will be the most effective for this person and on those meridians, which points will be the most effective. So then needles are inserted into those points. And, you know, depending on the practitioner, four needles could be used, two needles could be used, 20 needles could be used. So when you're talking about meridians, if you visualize it, right, like there's posters and it's like the picture of the person's body and then there's these lines and how yeah. I've heard it described is those are the energy highways of the body. It's how yes. that energy moves. Yes. And what you're looking for is where do we think that energy is stuck or imbalanced? And then you're putting the needles in those like associated meridians or points. Is that like a reasonable, yes, that very is part simplistic of it. way to describe it? I mean, the practice, given that it's a practice that is like at least 3,000 years old, it's incredibly amazing in depth. And I think we should also say traditional Chinese medicine isn't the only system of acupuncture, right? Like everybody who's an acupuncturist isn't going to practice with the same philosophy of no. how they apply That's why acupuncture. I think, you know, traditional Chinese medicine came out of the Mao era. It was when Chinese medicine became really institutionalized. Before then, it was mostly passed down. So it was like an apprenticeship-based medicine. It was yeah. like this collection of wisdom that was passed down through families. So some practitioners are wanting the name to change to like East Asian medicine yeah. or Asian medicine because Japanese acupuncture is very different yeah. from Chinese acupuncture yep. and Korean acupuncture is very different from those two. So yeah, depending on where in Asia the medicine comes from, it has its little twist. So does it always have to be a needle that is addressing that energy pattern? It does not have to be a needle. What what this is what be? is so trippy. So you can just do acupressure. Like you could just hold an acupuncture point with your hands. I teach a lot of that to birth partners. In children, we use these tiny tools, and this is from Japanese style acupuncture. They're called shonishin tools. Yeah. And those basically just provide like an acupressure type of thing. You can use essential oils yeah. on acupuncture points. And so taking the energetics and the actions and indications of the plant that the essential oil came from and pairing it with specific points on the body will do something. 
I think needles are preferred because they go deeper into the body. As we get older, the theory is that the energy in those channels sinks. It's not living on the surface of our skin anymore. So with a needle, you can affect a deeper change. Mm, okay. The longer I've practiced, I don't know that that's necessarily true because I think a lot can be done just by touching the points. Does acupuncture hurt? That's what everybody asks. That's what Does everyone asks. I remember when we were making our webpage for DCA all of those years ago, Denver Community Acupuncture, and we had an FAQ page, and that was our very first question. Does yeah. acupuncture hurt? I don't think it hurts, but I don't think it's sensationless, if that makes That's sense. That's a good way. I'm like a big needle baby when it comes to acupuncture. I had to really uh, experience acupuncture many times before I started to get really comfortable with a all lot of, of the sensations. Like but the benefit ratio for me is sort of worth it. So, But I do think it's good to how to explain it. It's not painful necessarily in a traumatic way, but you can experience sensations. And sometimes those sensations aren't unpleasant. Uh, they're uncomfortable. But it doesn't have to hurt. And I think that's a good thing to chat about with your sort of provider, with your acupuncturist. Yeah, like, and there's different, each practitioner has their own style. Yes. Like Japanese style acupuncture is very light. The needle just gets tapped in like ever so slightly. And so really, I mean, maybe Japanese, some Japanese acupuncture could feel sensationless. The way I was trained, I was trained in traditional Chinese medicine and there are definitely sensations. I've had acupuncture for you that has been <laughs> filled with sensation. <laughs> I have to sometimes be like, Oh man, I know Jessica's can help me with this. Let me just but it uh, works. amp myself up right? for the you sensation. But yeah, it's it's a hundred percent worth it. But it does. I think it's good to be honest with people. Like yeah, sometimes there's some sensation. So if somebody was like, "I'm having symptoms of perimenopause," let's just say, "Oh, I'm having some insomnia. I'm having hot flashes. I'm having some mood issues. I want to try acupuncture." Like, what would a generic course of treatment look like like how often should people expect to go how long do sessions last when would they start to feel better like yeah we'll ge we'll generalize it with the disclaimer that every you know every practitioner, every practitioner is, different. is different but I do, every person I do, is different i want to highlight that the chinese medicine toolkit doesn't only include acupuncture yes right it yeah. includes chinese herbs yep. nutrition recommendations mm -hmm. lifestyle guidance maybe essential oils. It could include cupping, um, electrical stimulation on the point, uh, twina, which is a type of massage. It could include acupressure. Some people do point injection therapy where they inject substances into specific points. So the course of treatment will really vary depending on, number one, what the practitioner's toolkit is. And then the other way it will vary is how open the patient is to trying all of these new things. Yes. It would also depend on how long this person has been experiencing these right. symptoms. Yeah. This is a really tough question. I know. People always want that for me. They're like, well, how many visits will I have? And I'm like, I, I don't know, know man. I, I won't know that until I know you. Uh, yeah. So if a woman is coming in like right at the start of that bridge, right? Yeah. She's like, oh, I've been feeling off for a couple months. Easy. A couple treatments. We've got this under control. If it's been 10 years, yeah. figuring out how to like weave in some balance to those patterns of disharmony that have been there for a decade will take a lot longer. So uh, what I usually say, I'll say like personally speaking, what I usually say to patients that come in for perimenopause, I'll say, okay, if you're open to 
coming regularly, like weekly yep. for acupuncture, if you're open to me prescribing you Chinese herbs and you're open to some lifestyle and nutrition guidance, I think we can see some changes. Maybe not these things are going away, but you should see things improving within six weeks. And I usually like if I'm making a generic recommendation for my patients to get acupuncture, usually I'm recommending weekly treatment for between six to eight weeks before they decide if it's going to work, yes yeah. or no. And when I looked at- I think that's fair. The model, the the studies that have uh, looked at acupuncture, and interestingly enough, they were just doing acupuncture, not herbs, not nutrition, mm. just a randomized controlled group of people who are experiencing peri perimenopausal symptoms. Half of them got acupuncture from a trained acupuncturist. Other The other group got nothing. Um, and the people who- did the treatment, they treated them weekly for like eight weeks. And not only did they have improvement in quality of life, decreased night sweats, but it lasted for like six months after the course of treatment, which I thought was really love that. interesting. So that's like my generic recommendation for folks is once a week for six to eight weeks. And at that point, you should get an idea. Is this going to be efficacious for you? Is this a good yeah. provider for you? Do you like it? Like some people are like, I hate it. And I'm like, okay, do something else, right? Like there's many paths. Don't well, force you can still work with a, an acupuncturist, even if you don't do acupuncture. Like if, if you go to an acupuncturist that's also licensed to give herbs, yeah. internal medicine is so powerful. Yeah. Chinese herbal medicine is really amazing. Yeah. So yeah, even when it comes to defining perimenopause, we actually recorded a whole episode just going over the definition of perimenopause, what common symptoms are, when does it start, what can you expect, uh, how do you explain perimenopause to your patients? So perimenopause as a collection of symptoms is relatively, it's a relatively new addition to Chinese medicine, which is most likely a reflection of how Chinese medicine has been influenced by Western medicine. In a lot of the ancient texts, perimenopause is not mentioned. Menopause is mentioned quite often, but the whole bridge that you're talking about getting to menopause is fair, a fairly new addition to Chinese medicine. The way I like to explain it to my patients is it's a really holistic medicine, meaning that it differs from Western medicine in that we are not concerned with individual symptoms. That's usually why patients come to see me because they feel like something is quote unquote wrong. Um, which is more of like a biomedical framework, right? Like I have hot flashes, I should do something about it. But I like to say that acupuncturists are like little investigators. We're looking for the breadcrumbs to lead us to what the root imbalance is. So we don't look at hot flashes as an individual symptom or an individual disease. We look at it as a clue to get us to the deeper meaning. And so a collection of symptoms that a patient might be experiencing that she doesn't think are related, like low energy, not able to sleep, mood swings, hot flashes. I think that now that there is more light being shed on this perimenopausal period, we can kind of clump those symptoms into this life transition. Similarly, in Chinese medicine, all of those clues would be branches to a root imbalance with different organ systems. And do you see like a specific pattern necessarily that like emerges in your perimenopausal patients, like a common root cause or a common imbalance? Women who have longstanding, we call it in Chinese medicine, liver chi stagnation. 
which is basically just like chronic stress. Yeah. <laughs> so women who are under chronic stress tend to see more severe uh, symptoms that we associate with perimenopause. Yeah. And I, it's so interesting. And this is why I've loved like working with you and chatting with folks that are practicing under different systems of medicine, but systems of medicine that have like a similar holistic philosophy as I can kind of say like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And what I see, like, I don't call it liver cheese stagnation specifically, but the way that I explain it is when the body's adjusting to the fluctuating hormonal levels that are associated with perimenopause, it's a physiologic stressor. Like the body is trying to find balance, but it's got these inputs of like, oh, sometimes estrogen's way higher. Sometimes it's lower. It's a little bit less predictable. And that if that sort of new physiologic stressor is layered on top of a history of chronic stressors, it can be the sort of straw that breaks the camel's back or that that influence that pushes everything else out of alignment. And we start to see symptoms because the body doesn't have as much bounce or flexibility, perhaps, as somebody who's had lower physiologic or psychologic stressors throughout their lifetime. So it's like you're putting like one more thing on the pile and all of a sudden that it causes the whole, yeah, it causes uh, an emergence of symptoms because the body's like, we cannot do all of this at once. Like, chill out. So it all goes back to the liver. Always. I remember when you and I started the Vitality Project and our first program that we created was all about loving on your liver. Yeah. The liver's function in Chinese medicine includes all of the biomedical functions, you know, that you see in Western medicine in terms of hormone regulation and all of that. But it's also, we call it the general. So it really is the commander organ in the body that tells all of the other organ systems what it needs to, what they need to be doing. It tells the digestive system how fast to transform and transport food into energy. It, it tells the heart how and when to produce blood. It tells the kidneys when to produce essence. And so when the liver gets stressed, like what you're talking about, that's when I see a lot of things go out of alignment. What do you think about how Chinese medicine, you know, potentially has thought about perimenopause in the past versus how it thinks about it now? Well, I'll say there's a few concepts that we should cover as we're talking about this. One is that Chinese medicine looks at transitions in life in periods of seven years or eight years, depending on if you're a girl or a boy. All right. So for women, life transitions tend to happen every seven years okay. with menopause happening around age 49. So seven times seven is age 49. So if menopause happens around age 49 to 50, that's considered quote unquote normal. If it happens earlier than that, that's considered a pattern of disharmony and would be treated accordingly. And then if it's sort of, we're talking about menopause being sort of 49-ish, if we're thinking of those seven year cycles, then that sort of transitionary cycle started in seven years before, before would be like 42, you know, 41, it 42 actually, I think it's more like 35. I mean, that's what I yeah. see. So it's like two, two sevens before, like two so seven-year cycles. There are different energies that kind of go on an incline and go on a decline depending on what age we are in yeah. life. And one of the main energies in the body starts declining at age 35 for okay. women is called the yang ming which is stomach energy. So what naturally happens before perimenopause, so this is like from the start of when you start your period all the way up until this time period that we're talking about, 
the heart this and this is all through the lens of Chinese medicine. So if this doesn't make sense through the lens of Western medicine, it's okay. The heart is supposed to make blood. Yeah. It sends blood down to the uterus yep. in order for it to fill, to get ready for life. And if life doesn't happen, then all of the energy keeps flowing down and you have your monthly period. Around this time that we're talking about, age 35, the body is just, it's just so brilliant. So the body knows that if it keeps losing blood and keeps losing essence, its life will be shorter. Hmm. So the body sends a signal to this heart, uterus, kidney, and reverses the flow Mm. over time. So rather than the heart sending energy and blood down to the uterus, it sends up, um, the flow goes upward. So rather than blood going down, the kidneys start sending essence up to the heart. So rather than the womb being nourished, the woman's spirit starts being nourished. So it really is in this time period, this golden opportunity for women to like start living wholehearted and open hearted and like being rooted in their body and like really giving voice to what they want. It's like illustrated so well in Chinese medicine. That's really cool. And again, it's like I can see people's gears turning and being like, but the heart isn't where the blood is made. That's like the bone marrow. And it's like it's a metaphor. We're not talking about the physical biochemical actions of these organs although sometimes there's some interesting correlation there but it is like a metaphor and a story about like how that energy of the body moves differently versus different phases of life like it's not a literal interpretation i think when sometimes people try to merge those two worlds they're like brains can explode a little bit a little bit open it up open it up (laughs) but just thinking of it from an energetic aspect okay so the energy is all about the womb space for so long and we feel that right like even the messaging in in society is like all about getting pregnant yeah so then let's go back to this illustration of the uterus being the connection between your kidneys which are the seat I mean they really are the seat of feminine intelligence they are responsible for growth development reproduction they house our essence so essence in Chinese medicine is defined as anything that promotes growth development reproduction but on a metaphysical level, we can think of essence as like what you were saying earlier, like your true self. What does your true self really need? So essence is stored in the kidneys. The heart is really how our essence is expressed. So going back to that idea of like what what do you find joy in, that's how we express our true self, mm-hmm. how we express our essence. And so the connection organ between the heart and the kidneys is the uterus. Okay. So it's really this triad of organs that all need to be in harmony and in sync with each other for this perimenopausal time to go smoothly. All of the energy is going to the womb space for so long that finally at this perimenopausal point around the age of 35, the body knows that the energy doesn't need to be in the womb space anymore and it sends that energy up to where the woman's spirit can be nourished, which I think is so beautiful. And that's one of the things I love so much about traditional Chinese medicine is the metaphor and the story that it tells. Because I think that's what's missing in a lot of more modern Western medicine is it's very reductionistic and it sort of separates the mind, body, and spirit into like these different containers and kind of says like, if you're having this individual system, it's related just to this like dysfunction in your body and we can, you know, treat it by replacing something or, you know, a surgical procedure. But I think it's missing a little bit of that storytelling aspect and a little bit of that like, meaning and once you invite patients to kind of 
see all of those parts being intertwined and like create some meaning to their story and understanding like big picture, this is how everything's intertwined. A lot of folks kind of have some recognition of like, oh yeah, I guess it makes sense that like how my stress levels and my sleep and my relationships and my sense of purpose and my, and my work life life balance and my, and my dietary like, yeah, choices. Like, yeah, it's all connected. How all of this connects. And I just love that traditional Chinese medicine offers that sort of story and metaphor mm. versus everything just being so linear. It's so beautiful. And I think we should, I want to make sure that we, as we are critiquing the more like mainstream modern western medicine approach saying there's also a place for that like both totally. both of us have used and Completely. accessed western medicine as appropriate when we need it so it's not like you know in china most of the hospitals have western medical doctors working alongside traditional chinese medicine doctors yeah. and so they get the patients there get the best of both medicines our culture is like so obsessed with binaries. It's this idea of like either or, or people will come to me yeah, and be it like, can just be both. Oh, well, you know, I don't know. Can you work with me? I'm also taking this pharmaceutical. And I'm like, that pharmaceutical seems like a great choice, you know, right now and maybe forever. Like, yeah. we can do both things, we can integrate it. It's not like an either or. And I think, again, when we're looking at that more holistic thing, I'll tell people like, surgery can be naturopathic, medications can be naturopathic. Junk food can be naturopathic. <laughs> like, totally. All of these different things can be integrated into who you are as a person. It's not like you have to choose a side, but like, as we're integrating these things, considering like, how do they impact that like whole person approach? And like, sometimes people might not have the time or the money and the interest in like changing their lifestyle. And in order to keep them healthy and safe, like a pharmaceutical medicine is a great choice for them. And like, again, you don't need a gold star. You don't get a gold star for being the most natural. You don't get a gold star for... You know what you get a gold star for? You get a gold star for figuring out what works for you. Like yeah. listening to your inner wisdom, taking into account all of the advice from you and me and any of the other practitioners that they're listening to and taking what resonates and leaving the rest. I'm not the boss of your body. Like if I'm telling you something and you try to do it and it doesn't work, like... Do I've it. got a plan B. I've got a plan C. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Let's figure out what works. Or, yeah. you know, you talk about listening for that like full body yes or that full body no. And yeah. that's a developed skill, right? I don't think Completely. we are taught or supported to listen to our bodies at all a lot in our culture. It's a lot like push through, don't give up, never quit. And I'm like, well, sometimes you can give up and sometimes you can quit and sometimes you shouldn't put like push through chill out and like take a break and be like what is my body telling me yeah, what does it want what does it need do you see particular like spiritual or emotional shifts also like represented in this population mm, that's a really good question and i do the more i add intuitive healing into my acupuncture sessions and really tune into and connect to the energy body of someone the more I see this trend among women in their 30s and 40s, it's almost like all of their energy is living from the diaphragm up. Mm. Like their feet aren't rooted into the ground. It makes sense to me because I don't think that women could get as much as they do done in one day if their feet were anchored to the ground. I think they would be saying no to a lot more. But I think because of this idea that, you know, like this go, go, go mentality and multitasking and wearing lots of different hats, 
I think it's natural for their energy to rise and kind of have to like live in their head more so. The issue with that is that most of our body's wisdom is anchored lower, Mm. like where our uterus is, our heart and our uterus. Those are like the key organs. But if all of our energy is living above our diaphragm, it's like we're missing out on all this wisdom that our womb space has to share with us. All right. So if you see that pattern in somebody like, what do you recommend they do about it? So it's a very yang pattern. So going into the theory a little bit about yin-yang theory, if you can visualize the yin-yang symbol in your head, it's that circular symbol and half of the circle is white and half of the circle is black. And then there's a little bit of black in the white and vice versa. Everything in Chinese medicine can be boiled down to yin and yang. Examples of yang would be like energetic, moving, goal-oriented, fire, metabolism, Summer is like the ultimate yang season of the year. So a lot of what we're required to do as humans in society are very yang-related tasks, right? Like multitasking as a mother, like getting your child to X, Y, Z after school and packing lunches and packing snacks. Or if you are a businesswoman, going to meeting A, B, and C all before 10 a.m., making sure you get back to a client. It's all very forward moving, this yang energy. So it's interesting to me that a lot of what I feel in my clients that are in their 30s and 40s have this yang pattern of all of this fire Mm -hmm. on top, all of these heat symptoms, insomnia. Uh, anxious mind, anxiety in general, those are all very yang symptoms. And so the way to counterbalance that energy is to tap into the opposite. And the opposite of yang being yin is all about surrender and going with the flow and stopping and breathing and anchoring and rooting. There's much more substance to yin. So whereas yang is energy, yin is more like fluids, blood. Mm. The feminine is typically considered yin, whereas the masculine is considered yang. So the way to counterbalance all of these symptoms that we see with perimenopause is to tap into this feminine yin energy. And the easiest way to do that is to just slow down. So much of the time I'm, I'm focusing with people. I'm like, okay, what do you do that's mindless recreation? It's not power walking to get XYZ steps to track on your Apple Watch. You're like, meandering through the streets and you're smelling the literal roses and you're, you know, chatting with neighbors and paying attention to the nature that's around you. Or I'm recommending a lot for people that they actually schedule like a Sabbath day for themselves, Mm, like a true day of rest where it's like have a day in the week or at least like a half day or even like three, four hours that is like unscheduled time. And you're just going to do whatever you feel like. You could nap. You could read a book. You could chat with a friend. You could find that yeah, thing find that your makes thing. you feel like your true self. That's like tapping into that just like pure joy. And I don't think we take enough time to just do things that are like joyful and purposeless. Like mm-hmm. just do it. And you don't have to like take a picture of it or document it or be doing it in a performative way. It's like just do things that are like calming and rooting and grounding. So I love that you say to find something that brings you joy because going back to that, the heart, the kidneys, and the uterus really being this, it's the most important pathway Yeah, in all women at all ages. It's like the one pathway that I see that's really blocked in women that can't conceive. Mm. I see it blocked in women that can't go into labor. 
I see it blocked in women that have a lot of perinatal mood disorders, and I see it a lot with perimenopausal symptoms as well. In Chinese medicine, each organ governs over a specific emotion, and the heart governs over joy. Mm -hmm. So tapping into joy really does equate to being present in the moment with an open heart. Mm. And having an open heart is one of the ways you connect to your uterus, to your womb. So not everybody who's going to go through the perimenopausal transition like still has you know a physical uterus or might have their ovaries but how does that change how somebody might experience perimenopause if they had a hysterectomy um they went through like chemotherapy or something early in life and went through like a premature menopausal process or more abrupt menopausal process like how does that change that vision Mm, that's a really good question so I have two things to say about that. The first is that even if you don't have a physical organ in Chinese medicine, you still have the energy of that organ. And so if a woman doesn't have her uterus anymore, she still has the energy of that womb space in her lower pelvic region, right? And then also there are all of these energy meridians highways of energy that connect from the uterus outward to other organs and other organ systems, and those don't go away if the uterus is removed. So she still has all of those same connections. I will say, though, that in a lot of the texts that we learn from and also in my clinical experience, if a woman has had a hysterectomy or has gone through, like you said, um, chemotherapy or something else that would make her go into perimenopause at an earlier stage... All of our reproductive energy in Chinese medicine comes from the kidneys. The kidneys really are the root of growth and development and reproduction. And we're born with all of the kidney energy. There's a a subcategory of kidney energy called essence. Mm -hmm. We're born with all of the essence we'll ever have in a lifetime. And so some people can spend that essence more quickly some people can spend that essence more slowly. So if someone has a hysterectomy or has gone through medications that would make them go into perimenopause early, usually what I see is that their kidney energy is weaker than it typically should be at that particular age. And what's interesting is we see in the literature that even when folks have a hysterectomy, so a hysterectomy is when the uterus is removed, and an oophorectomy is when the ovaries are also removed. So obviously, if both the ovaries and the uterus are removed, we would expect, oh yeah, that person is going to go to me- go into menopause. Sort of, there's not going to be a transition. It's like a, a full stop. Your ovaries aren't there anymore. They're not making the hormones. But even when people have a hysterectomy and the ovaries remain intact, they go into perimenopause more quickly and sooner than their cohorts that still have uh, their uterus present, which theoretically doesn't make sense, right? You're like, right. well, the ovaries are still there, but it's, uh, there is something about removing the physical structure of the uterus that research shows will accelerate the menopausal process, which I just think shows that interconnectedness. Exactly. We're I was like, just oh, say that. We're not necessarily like robots with all these parts that are... Um, Separate from each other. They all talk to each other and rely on each other. So you mentioned the emotion of joy being associated with the heart. What about the liver and the kidneys? So the liver governs over anger. All those resentments build up and really make the liver more mad. 
Yeah. And the kidneys govern over the emotion of fear. Like how would that show up in, in clinical practice, right? Like if somebody yeah. was having an issue with the liver, the, the metaphorical TCM liver, right? Uh, how would you see anger play into that? And then like what might you do about it? So the classic presentation of liver out of balance, if it's like really stuck and mad, is that the person is just chronically frustrated. Yeah. Easy sighing, like, <sighs> as they're talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, road ragey. Yes. Just lots of resentments against other people. Mm-hmm. That's usually how I see it. Yeah. Uh, what would you What would you recommend, like, in addition to... Acupuncture, Acupuncture, herbal medicine, (laughs) what like lifestyle things would help resolve that? Sweating is great. Like moving your body. Because if your liver, so the main job of the liver in in Chinese medicine is to make sure all of your energy is flowing freely. And so if it's not flowing freely and the liver can't do its job because it's mad, then you have to move that energy on your own. And yeah. so you have to exercise or move your yeah. body. Kind of some of that, liver, that yeah. stuck liver energy. And then what about how does the kidneys relationship with fear? How do you see that show up? And then what are things folks can do to support mm. that? So the way that fear can show up with kidneys is either there's an absence of fear. So yeah. someone's like an adrenaline junkie, like has no concept of like what should be scary. Yeah. Or it can show up as everything feels scary. Um, and then worry, which is associated with the digestive system. I see that a lot with perimenopausal symptoms, like the idea of ruminating over mm-hmm. one thought. Like a lot of times when I'm treating women who can't sleep, it's because they can't fall asleep because their their mind is wandering. Yeah, or they're waking up at, you know, between one and three mm-hmm. and they're... That's usually an indication that digestive energy and liver energy are hand in hand out of balance. Yeah. I found for some reason that meditating can be a hard recommendation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel that way too. Like meditating seems... is one of the hardest things to get buy on, even so buy in. So I found a good compromise is walking meditation. Okay. So rather than walking and multitasking and like making your lists or listening to a podcast, like listening to a guided meditation while mm-hmm. someone's walking, I have gotten more compliance with yeah. that with my patients. Mostly, I mean, it really just boils down to slowing down. Yes. Perfect. So if we're thinking of what are TCM supportive lifestyle things we would recommend in perimenopause, a lot of it is balancing that yang yin. And say no. Slow down. Say no. Yeah. Cut down on alcohol. Do some meditation. Any specific food choices? Just to back up a minute, I said earlier that each organ governs over a specific emotion. Yeah. Each organ also governs over a specific like time of year, colors that show on the face, but they also govern over a specific flavor. So the sour flavor yeah. is the flavor of the liver. So anything sour, like fermented, would be really good. Um, and then staying away from things that are spicy. So the spicy flavor injures the liver, um, again, because of the heat. What I typically see in clinical practice is that when the liver is angry, the digestive system kind of takes a beating. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very common pattern for those two organs to kind of go to battle and for the digestive system to lose. And so anything that takes the stress off of the digestive system can be really helpful too. Yeah. So what I typically recommend for that would be like eating warm cooked foods, not a lot of raw vegetables, not a lot of salads, um, not eating on the go, like really sitting down for at least 15 minutes and like only focusing on what you're eating, not reading anything or 
watching TV, really focusing on eating that can help conserve digestive energy. And then not consuming cold drinks. So everything at like room temperature or warmer. Um, and if someone is like, I just cannot give up a salad, then I'll just say, okay, then have a cup of tea afterwards. I think that's one of the biggest differences I've observed before between like TCM and like modern Western nutrition, which is like salads, raw veggies, raw fruit, you know, and people will be eating that and they'll be like, oh, like I have stomach cramps, my stomach hurts. I do like to say really quick uh, um, with digestion, this is why we recommend cooked food because your body has to spend the energy to cook it if it's not already cooked, right? Like nothing comes out of us cold. It's all cooked too warm, yeah. at least to body temperature. So anything that's not already to that temperature, our body expends energy. So if we can do some of the cooking ahead of time, it takes the pressure off of our digestive energy to have to do that. So then the last lifestyle recommendation piece I will give is just anything to nourish kidney energy yeah. because that really is like our kidney energy is really important. And I would uh, want to interject and say Chinese medicine kidneys are somewhat corollary to naturopathic model adrenals yeah right so. so yeah like totally. not not exactly not perfect but oftentimes yeah, I when i hear so. you talking about nourishing the kidneys the way i interpret that and what it mirrors and like my model is like adrenal health but the adrenal glands actually sit on top of the kidneys and when we're talking about like the symbolic kidneys of traditional chinese medicine we're probably talking about adrenal energy yeah ish like okay. for example one thing that i tell folks through these transitionary years is you have less capacity for busyness, less capacity for stress. So for example, the type of movement, maybe when you were in your early 20s, running marathons, doing CrossFit, doing really intense physical exercise, that might have served your body at that point, but you might also need to balance potentially that more like yang type of exactly. exercise. So like doing more, more yin. Restorative movement. During that transitionary period, you might have less capacity to for like stress, for external stresses, for doing things for other people. So it might not be the time to be volunteering in your spare time. It might not be the time to take on extra work or caregiving opportunities. Like if you have a choice in those matters, like that generally lifestyle, like simplifying a little bit. Alcohol is a big one where I'm like, your tolerance, your brain's alcohol tolerance for alcohol one. is going to be different. That, that was my number one yeah. recommendation. I mean, this is a little bit my soapbox, but I think the alcohol industry totally targets this age group for, of women. Sure. For sure. And normalizes drinking a lot. Yeah. To it's, the point of it being like really out of balance. But it's very normalized. We kind of have like it is wine mom and like... Oh, wine time. Wine and... time and like mommy's juice. And I'm like, y'all, that is not normal. In fact, that's actually detrimental. And like, well, and if you look at it through the lens of Chinese medicine, alcohol is really hot. It's hot in nature. And yeah. anything hot will damage liver energy. So if your liver's already hot and bothered from too much stress, you're adding more hot and bothered onto the liver. It's just. Like a recipe yeah. for not feeling well so, at all. Yeah. So maybe in the short term, you're easing some nerves. But in the long term, it really is just creating way more stagnation and way more heat. And then that heat, what typically happens is the liver gets angry. It gets hot. It vents that heat to the heart. And then people can't sleep. They feel really anxious. They're yeah. really worried. Their mind is racing. Any final thoughts about 
TCM, how it relates to perimenopause, anything we didn't get a chance to review that you think is super important. So my recommendations to support kidney energy through the lens of Chinese medicine yes. would be things like eating really nutrient-dense food, yeah. like bone broth. Nice. Um, nuts and seeds, getting really good, high-quality fats into your diet yeah. every day. Anything that we consider yin nourishing. And then also, really important, keeping your feet warm. Oh, yeah. Chinese medicine All the way loves up to your warm ankles. feet. We love warm feet. That is a no-no. Or keeping your lower back. Like, I remember... Yeah, keeping your lower back warm, too. You like, you know, folks to layer up, keep yeah. their back warm, not catch a chill. Yes. All right, well... Thank you so, so much. Thank you. That was so fun. Always a pleasure. So fun. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Change, a podcast about perimenopause for folks in their 30s and 40s. I'm Dr. Caitlin O'Connor, and our executive producer and audio engineer is Janice Matsko of Empowerment Ventures, theme song created by Lady Gang Music from Denver, Colorado. You can check out show notes and find and share episodes at drcaitlin.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can sign up for my newsletter. This podcast is a labor of love. And if you like it, please tell your friends and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. Now for the legally appropriate disclaimers. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. This does not constitute the practice of medicine, and this podcast does not give medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship has been formed. Listeners should not delay or disregard medical advice for any condition they have, and if you aren't getting good care, advocate for yourself, explore your options, and try the best you can. Until next time, I love you, and you're doing a great job.